Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. The Six Nations third round was a cracker as Wales ousted England to make it a record 12 wins in a row. France finally turned up with Scotland yet to find the Stade de France and Ireland had a run for their money against Italy. Here to discuss it all with me is the Olympic Sevens and World Cup winning coach Ben Ryan. Hello Ben, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I enjoyed the Six Nations at the weekend. It seemed like it was an endless build-up for the Wales-England, <laughs> yeah. so it was good to actually watch them. For those who didn't get all the results, i just read them out. France 27, Scotland 10, Wales 21, England 13 and Italy 16, Ireland 26. Ben, we've got uh, guests to speak to from a Welsh, Scottish and Irish perspective. So why don't we start with England? Billy Vinopola, interestingly, if they might said in the second half, there's a lot more niggle we bought into that because we thought we had a seven-point buffer. Don't quite understand the... Logic behind that, England were in control of the game in the first half to a large extent. And I thought actually when you look back at it, the Welsh stand that denied England a try just before mm. four half time, mm. thought it might prove decisive. It did in mm. the end. But where do you think England went wrong without taking any credit away from what was a tremendous, a tremendously spirited Welsh performance. No, I mean, and it was, and I thought, you know, Sean Edwards's defence really stood up to what England threw at them. But England, they tried, you know, they had the they had the kicking game that they played against Ireland. It caught Ireland on the hop a little bit, and they got that ascendancy. They then played against a French side that didn't pick a back three that had <laughs> had people that could deal with it. But Wales knew what was coming, and they've got a back three that were very well organised. I think it's a tactic that would work well sporadically then they needed a plan B and they might have one, but we haven't seen it. And, and that's effectively, they, they ran out of options against the Welsh team that suffocated and absorbed their defence. Well, to me, it, it worked in part in the first half because it kept them down in Welsh territory. And mm. whilst it didn't produce the points it had done, the difference for me was this. In the first half, they carried the ball again and they carried reasonably well and they at least pulled one or two of the Welsh defenders out of position. So the back three couldn't set as they would do from set plays. And therefore, the kicking game, albeit early, prospered to a certain extent. In the second half, because they didn't choose to run the ball first hardly at all, mm. they were dealing with a set back three who were very capable and dealt with it completely. And to me, when you use runners like Johnny May and Manu Tuolangi and 
Joe Thocker Senior so little, it seems to me to not be playing to your strengths. You've got to vary this. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, you summed it up there, so I don't really need to add too much more. And I think I think also Farrell was, was harried well by the Welsh scrum half, put him under pressure, took away his time on the ball so those kicks weren't as accurate as they had been the first two rounds. And then when they could have moved it into the wider spaces, they chose not to. And, and you know, I don't know why that was the case, whether that was the plan, whether they, they didn't want to play much rugby in their own half and they wanted to then have this aerial kicking game, but they need to be more expansive in the range of options that they use and, and like you say, play to the strengths of the world-class backs that England have. I think what we did see was that, yes, you can do without certain players mm. and other players can step in and do a job, but that's not the same as having the full complement whereby all your options are open. I think the injuries to Itoji and Mako Vinopola took away two very good experienced ball carriers. And when they played really well in the first two games and were able to vary the point of contact, which we discussed last week, mm-hmm. and that was highly effective, mm-hmm. not having those in there meant that that system didn't work quite as well in the first half, it worked to a certain extent, and he didn't. Well, they didn't try it in the second half. No, they didn't. But then it gets as you. If it's a system, then whoever the players are in those places should still at least have attempted to play to that system. But they didn't. Mm. Um, you know, I don't. I don't think it's. It's you know, suddenly it's disaster time for England. You know, but they certainly need to have a few more op- options in how they're going to attack. And I thought that was developing, and hopefully it it will. But at the moment. They do just look a little bit too narrow. And on the other side of it, you know, a lot of people commented on how the, the penalties have come back to haunt them and the nine penalties. They actually conceded eight against Ireland. So it's not as though they've, you know, things have changed dramatically. And if you look at that game against Ireland, the clean breaks were the same as they, as they were against Wales. Defenders beaten were the same. The offloads were more against Ireland than they were against Wales, only by two. And they actually had a better tackle rate against, against Wales than they did against Ireland. So... Actually, the statistics are fairly similar to the Ireland game as they were to the Welsh game, with one exception, the the scoreline. Yeah, they are in this sense as well. I mean, nine penalties, that's under the magic 10 that you're trying for, but that's against three. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a reflection of Wales being very disciplined, but also the fact that in the second half, they didn't test them in and around the breakdown because the ball was in the air too much. Yep, and then and then Wales kept that penalty count low by not competing as much at breakdown and just getting as many men on their feet in a big line and then making their one-on-one tackles, which which they did brilliantly. They had a good front sweeper that was slowing down the ball for England to kick with and their back three were very well organised. I mean, it was, you know, Gatland and Edwards had really put together a very accomplished performance. You know, I feel sorry for Carl Sinclair very much in this sense. You know, he had a... Tremendous first half and in terms of his tackling and his dominant tackling was tremendous. Look, the the first penalty he gave away, the no arms one, I thought that was questionable, that goes for you. But the second one about round the neck, when the referee shouting at you, mm. let go. Mm. And he was probably going to come off anyway, but it seemed that he got labelled because of this. And obviously Gatlin's comments before the game, they were read back into that. But this goes into something... If you remember, in the second half, the first Welsh try that came after a passage of play, it actually started quite a long time before that when England didn't move off the line and gave a free kick away. They then gave two penalties away, and that ultimately, I know you're talking about a long passage of play, but things like not moving off the line, 
no need to do that. No, I agree. And I, I don't think anyone should be be saying anything too negative about about Sinclair. Like you said, he was outstanding in the first half. I don't think his two penalties were were seismic, and they weren't the reason that England didn't win. I think he's a great player. He's like a lot of a lot of Test match players. You know, they're, they're on the edge of of being highly aggressive within the law, and you want that from your players. And I think he's got a great. And I also am not sure about Gatlin's. You know, he talked about Sinclair. I'm not sure whether that was a reaction to someone asking him it or he had already lined up talking about Sinclair. I think that's unclear. I'm not sure he was necessarily targeting him as much as perhaps 12 months earlier when Reece Patcher was targeted by Lee Jones, which was thought out and proactive. I'm not sure if Gatlin had done that. Oh, I'm sure he had. <sighs> yeah, I'm try- I wish. Yeah, I just hate all this mind game stuff. It just blows. <laughs> just think, get on with it, will you? But yeah, anyway. Well, England's... Well, the Grand Slam hopes have gone. The title hopes haven't necessarily gone. I mean, Wales have still got to go to Murrayfield. Scotland are due one good performance over a whole game. And then, of course, they are at home, but it is to Ireland. And Ireland, I will touch in Burnett later on, they haven't got anywhere near their 2018 standards. And I'm sure they will be hoping that at least one of these games will produce that. It could be down there. And then we were... We will see. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that oh, it's still wide open, and for those for those reasons, I'd love to. You know, you can't quite put your finger on what's going on with Ireland. You can see that Murray and Sexton are not playing to the standard that they played twelve months ago, and that they are the the one of the bedrocks on which the this Ireland game plan is is built around. Why that's the case? Because they haven't. You know, they, you know, Ireland can manage the game time, so it's not that. It's not, you know, the coaches haven't changed anything. They've got very good coaches and they've got an excellent backroom staff. So it's just not quite firing. But, you know, the, the, I don't know. The, like you said, that they are due a very good performance soon. And, and I still don't, I wouldn't discount them from, from World Cup glory either. So it is wide open. But I think Eddie's, Eddie's talking about the, you know, the, the Grand Sam's like a tinted windows in the car and it's an extra. I'm not sure about that, really. It's, <laughs> no, I, it's much you know, heralded by players to I agree with that. that. And I'm not sure that's right either. Let's wait till we get hold of Shane Byrne to talk, you know, about an Irish perspective on why they're not quite firing. But this is a presumption. I don't think I'm being too out of order to say they will be Italy, given that they've never lost to them. Mm. And they are at home against Scotland, and mm. we know that Scotland have a difficulty winning away. If they were not to win the championship, but recorded four wins and that loss, where do you think that sets them on their curve towards peaking for the World Cup? I think they're certainly far better off than they were 12 months ago. And I think there was there's two big plus points that I saw from this game. One was Curry. He was outstanding again. And also their conditioning—they look—they look like they've got that right. They look like they've got—they're full of energy, and and there's more enthusiasm about them on the field than they were 12 months ago. In the next two games, I think we're going to have to see a bit more variation, just to show that they've got more than just that attacking. How many changes do you think he will make for Italy? <sighs> I mean, had they won, he would have made probably it, ten. Yeah, it's maybe it's, not so many. He's not as you know his relationship with the Prem. He's not as worried about that, so he's not going to be worried about resting players to the to the betterment of any clubs. So that won't come into his mind, and he might want to he might want to build some some momentum again. So I don't think the changes will be as as great as say Wales made against Italy or Ireland, and he'll probably keep them to a minimum. I think he'll play around with a few potentials like you know, Joe Thocken, the singer. I can see him getting 
getting a start. Dan Robson, maybe they'll give him a run as well. But um, the changes might be more minimal than perhaps Ireland and Wales have made. And I think more than anything else, he'll want to try and get back to honing the carrying game, trying to find a way to bring two like either as a decoy or as a mm, carrier mm. more into the game. Because when you've got a talent like that, and he is still fit, mm. it, it makes no sense to me not to use him, not you know continually, but but far more. Well, like you say, as a foil or as a th- as a thrust, you know he's there and he's world class. Um, but he wasn't. He 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 didn't get too much ball, and he didn't play particularly well at the weekend to the levels that he can. I don't know how much of this off-field stuff about him going to Racing has got into his head, but he wasn't his normal self, and they didn't play. To, they, he didn't really get full opportunity either. But at his best, he's as good as any midfielder in the world, and and we need to utilize that. And whether it's Slade or maybe Elliot at thirteen, you know that those that that partnership in the midfield with Farrell at ten is as good as anybody that they'll face in the World Cup. Johnny May off for an HIA, but there's plenty of cover at wing. That's one of the things that England do have in abundance. Yeah, yeah. don't need to worry about that at all. And, and back three is strong, got great depth. I think the midfield now is strong as well. Um, and, and they've, you know, they've settled in at Farrell at ten. So, and the nines are the nines. You know, you've got you've got Ben's kicking game was 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 as not perhaps as accurate as he wanted, but he's you know he's he's still the number one with Robson and Danny Care fighting it out at the moment. The bat line's strong. You know, it just needs to be utilised a little bit more. Anyway, we've spoken about England's failings and what they did and didn't do right in Cardiff. Why don't we get a Welsh perspective? Really pleased to say we can speak to the former international Welsh back, David James, who's on the line. Hello, David. Good evening. Good evening. Tremendous physical effort in defence, certainly at the end of the first half to deny England what would have been a very important score just before half-time. But all round, you know about this. What is special about what Sean Edwards brings to this facet of the Welsh game? Uh, he just brings that hard edge. I think, uh, you know, everybody talks about Warren Catlin, but I think uh, you're quite right. He uh, pointed out there, I think Sean Edwards is uh, very instrumental in the way that Wales play. I think he brings that, uh, you know, that physicality around the breakdown area and obviously the defensive quality. I think he commands respect off the players. And um, <laughs> when they turn up and put that red jersey on, then they... they they step up their game because it has to be said that the, the regional rugby isn't really of that higher quality. But uh, when they when they don that red shirt, they, it's uh, it's a new sort of side that's put together. And uh, obviously, that was a fantastic win on the weekend. The irony is that the man of the match, and deservedly so, uh, Liam Williams, might not even been playing at fullback had Lee Halfpenny been available there. It's two schools of thought similar with Mike Brown and Elliot Daly. When you see what Williams can bring extra, do you think there is a case for him starting in a back three and changing one of the wingers? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't change the, the Williams. He, he's, he quite uh, openly has said that that's his favourite position previously. And, you know, he's a utility back. He's a very talented individual. And, uh, you know, I, I like him at fullback. I think he's got a little bit more time on the ball. He, he can read the game and uh, he makes some great line breaks, really. But you'd have to say on, on the weekend, Owen Farrell and uh, you know, the kick-in was, was aimless in the second half in particular and uh, played played straight into the Welsh hands, really. And, uh, you know, they didn't have a plan B, did they, really? I thought the half-backs for England should have been changed, but uh, that's my take on it. But great from a Welsh perspective. And you, you're quite right. I think... 
if I, if I put my neck on the line, I'd probably say I dropped not George North because I I didn't that he he was really a standout. I think Josh Adams obviously with the try at the end, I think he's been playing exceptionally well. And uh, I probably uh, look if if half penny was fit, which I don't think he's had enough game time personally. I think one game doesn't allow you to uh, just walk straight back into the team, but. Uh, Get a couple of games under his belt, and I'd probably uh, stick with Liam Williams full back and put probably put uh, half penny on the wing for a long range goal kick. Hey Ben Ryan here. A question really about about Welsh Welsh the Welsh fly half situation. Where do you where do you stand on Big Ed? Do you think he should start in Scotland? Do you think it's that that what Gatland did at the weekend was spot on? Yeah, good good question. I think uh, both two two uh, competent players really. I I thought uh, on the weekend that uh, Dan Bigger should have started. Game we've seen, uh, you know, we come on and, uh, you know, let's be fair. I know uh, the, the the defensive qualities of Wales was exceptional, but I thought Dan Bigger brought a different dimension to the game. I think he controlled it very well. I think Wales were losing by a point. I think it was when he came on, and then uh, you know started started to turn the cog a little bit. But uh, I definitely would have played him, started him off at uh, a ten against the English, but it did pay off. Wales come away with a win against Scotland. I would play uh, Anscombe. I think uh, he's a bit more elusive. He's a bit sharper. I think uh, a little bit more flair. But um, when the tight sort of contest, I probably would play bigger. See, David, it, it seems to me just as a, you know, not, not, not just common sense, but the, the way these two players are, had England gone in with another score just before half time, it might have been too. They might have been too far away for him to make any difference at all what you don't want is a game to get away from you and you certainly probably won't get that with bigger if you need to change it up and you need to throw the ball around a bit more because you've got to take chances then it seems to me to you know Anscombe is, is probably a better fit to do that yeah quite right and uh, you, you're quite right in what you said there Brian um, I think just before half time if England had another score I thought it was going to be a, a, a pretty much whitewash then but uh you know, I had a funny feeling if Wales were in there for, you know, within 60 minutes that, that Wales would win. I think, uh, you know, that we've seen time and time again with the temperament that the Welsh team got and that, that sort of team ethos towards the latter part. They seem to come a little bit stronger. And, uh, you know, we've seen some of the English players, in particular Sinclair, uh, losing his head a little bit and Cruz, a couple of silly little mistakes towards the end. And uh, we as Welsh team capitalise on it. But you, you're quite right there. And I think... The, the two outside halves that you've just mentioned in particular, I think uh, they've got different skill sets. I think if it's a tighter sort of game, I definitely go for a bigger. He controls it, he's kicking, his tactician, his tactical sort of uh, game is 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 a lot better than Anscombe's. However, on elusive fast track, I go for Anscombe because he, he can get the back line going a bit quicker. And I think that's what Warren Gatman is trying to do. But, uh, you know, um, against England, I probably would have gone for bigger. But how can we say that? How <laughs> Where's the one? We were talking earlier on, and I've made a big point in my writing over the last few weeks to say, look, there are lots of sides who have depth and they can cope with certain injuries, but that isn't the same as having everyone you want to be out there because there are certain players who just make the team quite a lot better. One of these in particular, absolutely, is Alan Wynne-Jones. He doesn't seem to do much spectacular, but when you drill down and see what he actually does... And on top of that, the way he's able to help referees, shall we say, um, <laughs> I just wonder if anything happens to him. Yeah, you'll fill someone in. Someone can do a job. But that little bit, that special bit might go. How important is it that he is absolutely there for the World Cup campaign? 
That was very diplomatic. That was Brian. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he gets in the referees, you <laughs> doesn't yeah. he? But uh, yeah, I think he's got like that sort of Richie McCall thing, isn't he? That little bit of invincibility. You know, I, I think time and time again I've seen, and uh, you know, this is from uh, uh, an open-minded Welsh spectator that you know some of the things he does, you know, he should be penalised for, but he gets away with it. He is certainly a talisman for Wales. He leads by example. He's very much uh, in the mould, shall I say, of uh, uh, Martin Johnson. I think people rally around him. A bit more subtle, that. possibly. Possibly, yeah. He's got a bit more chat than him as well, possibly <laughs> as well. But it's. Uh, yeah. In all honesty, he's a world-class player, isn't he? You know, 124 caps or 125, I can't, I lost count really. But, you know, he is. And, it, and it's important from a Welsh perspective that uh, they keep him fit because, yeah, we, we got Jake Ball and we got uh, one or two other younger players, Seb, Seb Davis and so on, coming through. But they're not of the ilk that Alan and Jones is. He, he commands respect. He's got that physical presence around the field. And, you know, he's very professional in his approach. And, you know, he gets away with a little bit that possibly other players wouldn't get away with. So he has to stay fit if Wales want to, uh, you know, do do well in the World Cup. David, very finally uh, and quickly, how confident are you about a Grand Slam? And if not, certainly a championship. Reasonably confident. I think uh, the only problem is, you know, when you go, you're going in as a favourite, we, do, we don't like that favourite sort of tag. Um, you know, we, we like to be the underdogs. But, um, you can't so you keep can. pretending after 12. You can't keep <laughs> yeah. pretending you're under. You can't exactly. keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think, um, yeah, look, I, I, I'm pretty confident that Wales will go up to Scotland and scrape a win. I think that's going to be a tough old game. The Scots are not going to... Uh, bend over for us, so, so to speak, or and uh, and lower the tick of their bellies, really. But uh, I think the the big game will be uh, the last game then in in um, the the Millennium Stadium against the Irish, really, which is Paddy's day, isn't it? Really, so that'll be the tester. But you are in all honesty, big difference. Uh, yeah, yeah. But but in all honesty, I think you know I. I was under the impression that Wales will probably lose on the weekend, but I think uh, where is the title is there pretty much in grasp of uh, the Welsh hands. That's all I would expect you to say. Great. Thank you very much uh, for speaking to us. And it's good to speak to you again, David. Thank you. Thanks, guys. David James, uh, an open-minded Welsh fan, (laughs) which he obviously is. Well, time now to speak to Rory Lawson, the former Scotland scrum half. He was in Paris for the match. Hello, Rory. Evening, Brian. Evening, Evening, Ben. Hey, Rory. Look, this continues to be a problem with Scotland, their away form. I would suggest in P- Paris they fell quite a way short of of what they wanted, even accounting for the result. Yeah, undoubtedly. I think um, it was just a hugely, hugely disappointing performance. I think the players let themselves down. Gregor Townsend naturally disappointed and alluded to that afterwards by saying that the, the performance in the blue jersey deserves an awful lot more and I felt Scotland are a side who need to play high octane energetic rugby I felt they struggled with that I felt they made too many errors as well and tactically I thought the tactics were right but their execution of it was just not where it needed to be the kick chase was poor the the set piece was poor and they turned the ball over all too easily and against a side, uh, a French side who were mentally frail coming into it, having had a, a treacherous couple of weeks since um, the second round defeat to England, where they looked rudderless, Scotland just provided them with everything they needed to build confidence, get into the game, and ultimately you could argue that 
Scotland were lucky to keep the, the scoreline where it was, given that France were over the line four times, whereby the TMO decided not to give the try rightly on all occasion, I will add. Finn Russell is obviously a huge loss, and it would be to any side, but when you're talking about a replacement, Adam Hastings has been seen to some as possibly not having enough experience, but I would have thought now with Peter Horn having had three starts, three defeats, that they probably will be tilting towards Hastings anyway. What do you think? Look, I think Finn is likely to be fit for the Wales game at Murrayfield Saturday week. So I'd like to think that'll be the case. It's very easy for a lot of people have jumped on on board with the Hastings suggestion that Adam Hastings should have started ahead of Pete Horn, but he has he's really struggled for form in the Glasgow jersey since the since the festive games actually, and and Pete Horn had a very strong game against Cardiff Blues last week before being selected at ten. The, the unfortunate thing is just you know the injuries the injuries are there and we cannot hide from those. I think when you take Stuart Hogg, Hugh Jones, Finn Russell, Ryan Wilson. Um, out of that Scotland team that's already without Hamish Watson, John Barclay and Duncan Taylor and the likes. The the squad are decimated. I think there are, there are 10 back rowers missing all in all. Um, but at the same time, I expected the the squad who Gregor Townsend to, selected to go out and put in a performance that would certainly run France close, if not beat them. Um, I felt it was a good enough squad, but sadly they went out there and, and performed poorly and They'll have to wear that for a while, and it's one of those fallow where the fallow weeks doesn't work in your favour because I guarantee all of the Scotland team would have wished they could have kicked off again and, and played that game straight after the final whistle um, to give themselves another chance. Sadly, they're going to have to sit on that for a couple of weeks, and you know ultimately when you look at the fixtures now, Wales home going for a Grand Slam, England down at Twickenham by we've not won since 1983 uh, we're going to need some big performances to be able to get results from those two Hey Rory Ben Ryan here I hear you you were also at the game in Paris I think and I just love to have your intimate knowledge of, of scrum half play what do you make of Dupont um, and his performance but also his potential for France over the next few seasons Oh, you know what, Ben? When when I when going into the game, I thought Antoine Dupont he's, he's a he's a classy operator, and but with with he and Roman Antomac lacking experience in the halfbacks, I thought Scotland could could get after them. But my fear was found ultimately because they're two young talented kids who would have gone out without any thought of the French politics um, in in their heads, uh, without any fear factor. And they showed how classy they can be. And Dupont, in particular, he he made an immediate impact against England when he came off the bench at Twickenham. And he's he's playing with confidence. And he's a really really nice player. He's got a, a nice service. His kicking game is excellent. But he's he's a real live wire around the breakdown. He's very good. Um, he's brave defensively. And he he had a very very good game. It was one whereby he needed to have a good game to make Roman Antonac uh, feel comfortable. He took on a lot of the kicking duties and I, I really like his, his support lines as well, counter-attack. And obviously he, he was key um, on that counter-attack from Ramos at fullback that led to the first score. He, he had a go himself. He's got a fair bit of pace about him as well. But, you know, those guys, for me, are the now in French rugby. I think the likes of Morgan Parra and Cami Lopez have, have probably had their time 
and it's it's time for these these young kids to get an, a proper opportunity to develop in the French jersey. Rory, I absolutely agree with you. You do have to take into account the number of injuries Scotland have got, and in particular to the people that are there. But I just wonder this: even when all the forwards, or nearly all of them, are back, are you confident you have enough ball carriers, you have enough go forward front foot players to provide a sort of ball that the undoubtedly talented and creative backs have? You know, Brian, it's, it's one whereby I, I look at the other teams um, in the Northern Hemisphere and in the Southern Hemisphere, and, and for me, we do lack somebody of the Billy Vinopola ilk or somebody of the Toby Falatau or CJ Stander. But at the same time, I do believe that the, the the way that the other players can bounce off each other can can work well, um, and that they can they can share the load around that. We're, we're I don't know if, if it's just the way that we're built, but we don't have one of those guys in the squad at the moment. Um, albeit, you know, Dave Denton's shown glimpses of that. Josh Strauss has shown glimpses of it at times, but just not consistently. Um, but I I do think you know it, for Gregor, the, there are two games of the Six Nations left, and he has to try and keep what squad he has healthy. He's got to try and get the injured guys healthy because we've seen before when you have Hamish Watson, John Barkley, Ryan Wilson, Josh Strauss, Dave Denton, Richie Gray, dare I say, um, Stuart McAnally and Fraser Brown as two hookers who do carry like back rowers. Um, Duncan Taylor, if he could get fit and into the midfield, he's, an, he's another ball carrier. And I, I just, I think within that, there is, there is enough and Scotland have shown it. Scotland on their day will run anybody close, if not beat anybody in the world. Scotland, when they're five, ten percent off, like any other international team, are vulnerable. And right now, we are not in a position whereby we can win games when we're not five or ten percent off. Um, albeit, uh, we we did so against Italy, against the top teams. You don't you don't win those games unless you're you're right on it. And I think that's that's probably a fair measure of where Scotland are at the moment. Uh, a very quick, quick final question, if you don't mind. Look, there might be opportunity to get some of the players fit between now and Wales. Now, you're at home and you're due uh, a performance that lasts longer than you know, one half. Can it be this one against Wales? Look, Murrayfield as a, as a stadium and a place for the, the guys to play is very special. Um, the, the performance Scotland put in against Ireland was disappointing. It was, a, it was another... Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Had we played better, we we should have won that game. Ireland um, are, are not where they they've been over the last twelve months. I think they're just struggling a little bit for confidence and flow at the moment, having been knocked over by England, obviously in round one. But I do think Scotland are capable. I think we'll need to get WP now back because I think the scrum area is one whereby if you concede a couple of penalties in that area, you just give up territory so cheaply and line out as well is an area whereby I. Uh, Richie Gray's had a couple of games for Toulouse recently and I, I I would like to see him maybe come back in albeit the, the second row position with Johnny Gray, Grant Gilchrist, Ben Toulouse is is one of our stronger areas. I would like to see Richie's experience um, in that in that second row. WP now will add a bit. Um, I don't know. I think it'll be too early for Hamish Watson to come back in the back row. But these guys, a lot of the Scotland guys who played on Saturday will be desperate to get it back into that blue jersey and get the opportunity to right some wrongs because they've been 
off the boil over the last two rounds of the tournament. And, you know, time, time's running out for a few guys to stake their claim for the World Cup. Well, Rory, Scotland will be in the uh, unusual position of every English rugby fan cheering you on. So that's going to be something, surely. Good man, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Everyone's favourite. Rory, great to speak to you again. Thank you very much. Thanks again. Cheers, guys. Rory Lawson, former Scotland scrum half. From a French point of view, you've been alluding to the fact, and it's quite clear, that there is still, amazingly, lots of young talent in France. Who knew that picking players in their (laughs) right positions might be effective? Well, it's taken them two rounds (laughs) of the Six Nations to work that one out. But now, now... They need to, and, and if you know they'd won or lost, they need to stick with Ontomac and Dupont as 9-10, Ramos at fullback, start to move Penno into the midfield when you've got returning players like perhaps Vakatawa, maybe Raka. Would it not be better with um, Dumayo instead of Bastero? I mean, look, Bastero does some things. Yeah. But he does things that aren't required necessarily for a centre yeah, and no, doesn't do other things. Look, I think, and I, I, think... Don't, I don't care if he did a chip on one. I don't care. <laughs> No, I, th- I just think if they get him fit, which is a big if, a very big if, if they can get him fit, then... You have to then drop six stone. He's got, he, he, if they do, he's, a, he's, a, he's an option to vary their game if they need to off the bench. For me, Penno is, is a midfielder of real class and he's got a I decade agree. in the French team. So you, you put him in and, in and, uh, and you feed around that for Farnas. Uh, we'll get back fit soon as well. So that they've got, their back line is starting to, is starting to go well. And I, and I really like... Demba Bamba and Poirot as well, uh, you know, and you know more about about front row play. Well, well, every, anybody about, knows more about front row play than me. But to do with the work in defence as well, because the great when they have the, the carrot yeah. of going forward and hitting things and contributing taking ball, don't work hard enough for me mm. to get back into position sunk. to make there. And players like Varmahino, whatever he brings to a scrum on one of you, unless he gets substantially fitter. He can't fit into a World Cup side that's going to challenge because he simply does not do enough all round. Yeah, but that you could say that across the team and even the young kids, you know, everyone needs to get fitter. That, that That's another 10% in their game that they're going to need. And Do they have time between now and the World Cup, really? No, and because the top 14 final is late, they're going to Again? have... Yeah, they're going to have not a lot of time at all. So, uh, you know, whether everybody is in France is... is understanding that it's a longer-term project here for 2023, who knows, but it's a, it's a tough ask for them to get any consistency at the World Cup to get them into the semi-finals, but you never know. In a huge year for rugby, stay ahead of the game with a sports subscription to The Telegraph. You can get a 30-day free trial, after which it's just £1 a week. We have a squad of rugby legends, including Sir Ian McGeekin, Maggie Alfonsi, Will Greenwood, alongside me to help to produce the best coverage around. You'll get unlimited access to all our sports coverage, so make sure you're in the know with The Telegraph. To get your no-obligation 30-day free trial, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash rugby sub. Well, Ireland rang the changes. I don't suppose they expected to be going in at half-time against Italy with the scoreline 16-12 against them. Joe Schmidt apparently told his players at half-time the score had set them up perfectly to show the metal, and they did come back. You'd expect that. And yet, something isn't clicking with Ireland at the moment. I don't know, why don't we speak to their former uh, hooker, Shane Byrne, to try and uh, drill down into this. Hello, Shane. Hey, Brian. Uh, ten missed tackles first half, five line-outs lost. Now, I don't 
necessarily care about the score against Italy. They were always going to win. They did. They did that. Mm-hmm. But um, can you explain the what seems to be a lack of spark about about all the Irish performances so far? Well, part of it, I suppose, is the injuries in the squad. But that would be a pretty light excuse to tell you the truth. It's you know the ramifications of what happened after the England game and the manner of the loss is still there. The 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 you know as well as I do, you can be in physically the best shape in your, in your if the top two inches aren't sorted, mm-hmm. you know you're not going to play well, and that is what just is missing from the squad at the moment. All the accuracy, the the hunger, the want is just missing out of the game. One of the telltale signals I was looking because. We, as you say, you would at this stage expect that they would win the game. We didn't think it would take be as hard as it was. Look, they got the bonus point away from home. Great. But we were looking for a performance, a step up, a better performance than the nervy one we had against uh, Scotland. But the problem was it was, you know, right away, uh, Peter O'Mahony very early in the game wins a turnover inside the Irish 22 and nobody is in patting them on the back, congratulating them. It, it, the, the atmosphere in that squad is really strange. Everyone's kind of, you know, very weary of showing any emotion or, or getting wrapped up in anything. And, and it's creating just a nervousness within the team, which is affecting the way they're playing. They're just, the amount of unforced errors that, you know, we're only talking about three months ago, they were doing a clean sweep uh, of the November internationals and having some fantastic wins. And this, is essentially the same squad, barring a couple of injuries. But the form of the players, and I suppose the biggest talking point is still the lack of form with Sexton and Murray, how they're just not finding the normal go forward. But it's permeating right the way throughout the squad. I mean, Murray didn't have many games before this, but he he's now had enough yeah. game time, certainly for a player of his quality. And Sexton, of course, has been well looked after. Um, is there yeah. a a magic equation, a, a trick to bring this back on form? Is it a question of hard work, tactic? I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Well, yes, I think it is hard work. Look, you know as well as I do, and this is why we love the Six Nations so so well, is that look at France. You know, two first two games, they were dire. They were terrible. They had a good, they, a good first half against Wales and then fell apart, and they were terrible up until the game this weekend. And old French flair started to come back in and they, they played really, really well. Now, is that what Ireland need? Is it, is it one good performance, one good instance that and everything will be back on track? I don't think it's quite that simple. But the the worrying thing is that, you know, any time it's taken, you know, any time they've had to get back in form, Sexton and Murray have always managed to do it in a very, very short space of time. They're a little bit older than the tooth. There's no doubt about that. But those two are definitely still pivotal to getting Ireland back on track because they need a lot of positive play and just get going on the front foot again. You know, as I say, one one result could do it, but I don't know what it is. the, The magic beans, whatever it is that Joe has been able to do to pull the strings right up until this point just doesn't seem to be there at the moment. Well, in this sense, the good thing is that well, there's a week off. The next one is at home, where Ireland traditionally yeah. do play a lot better. And they've got France. Yeah. So it's a big test. and It's a perfect one for them in terms of they know they will have to be physical because of the size of the French team. That the ball carry might get them back into it. But then, you know, the big one uh, or another big one away in Wales. I would have thought from a psychological point of view, 
And you know what the Irish are like more better than anyone. You know, they like spoiling mm-hmm. parties, especially with England, but they're likely to be going down there, I think, still in contention for possibly a championship, but certainly to stop, uh, I would have thought, Wales winning a Grand Slam. Yeah. Is that the Absolutely. sort of psychology that they need to get back on track as well? Yes. And I know, but I think you know, you've listed there exactly the way it, it needs to be for Ireland is that they need to now focus very, very hard on the games and start getting on past whatever hang ups they have. Because, as you said, first and foremost, they're playing France. And France showed this weekend that they still remember how to play rugby. They can select the team that is people playing in the right places. So, Ireland are going to have to play very, very well at home to do that. So hopefully that will raise the bar and focus the minds. But there's no doubt about it. The Irish love the underdog tag more than anything. But if there's one other tag they love is to go and spoil a party. And I would imagine that Wales will be going for the Grand Slam. I know that Scotland will have something to say about that. But if that is going to happen, Ireland would like nothing better to do that. And Look, hopefully we'll get a chance, an opportunity as an Irish point of view to look back in the Six Nations and go, look, it was a rude awakening, but it ended up fixing a lot of things and we maybe we got a few more players blooded. But at the moment, it is a little bit concerning. It is something that you would have expected Joe being able to heal whatever it is over the last two weeks. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just taking a little bit of time, is it? A little bit that they know Joe is leaving. I can't imagine that that's having an effect. I do still think it's it's still to do with the form of the senior players, unfortunately. Well, we will see, Shane. It's always great to speak to you. Thank you very much for uh, talking to us once again. No worries, Brian. Anytime. Shane Byrne, the former Ireland hooker. I, you know, just as a an afterthought, the desire to be disciplined, mm. absolutely fine. Mm. Understand that, but you still got to be almost robustly and physically belligerent in these games because with the contact area being so important, with the players being so fit, with them being so powerful, if you don't get that sort of balance right, you can end up just not quite competing enough. And I just wonder whether the discipline they're trying to show is perhaps affecting that aspect as well because they need both. Mm, what that they're almost playing slightly within themselves and well, look, let's take Sinclair as an example. Yeah, the second one, the arm around the throat, that was a silly one. Yeah. The other one, you know, was a, a call that might have gone for yeah. him, might have gone against him. Yeah. But what he is doing in amongst, you can see the amount of dominant tackles he's making. Mm. So you don't want him to s- step off that. What you want him to cut out is the silly ones. Yeah. And you might be right that the island is slightly perhaps not pushing the envelope as much as one or two of the others because it is, I can I understand exactly where, saying that look, we can see Murray and Sexton aren't playing well, but they're both world-class players, stacked full of experience. So you can't, I, I, I'm sure they're not going through any confidence crisis. It must be the system's not quite operating at full throttle. I, I, actually, the way you explained it as far as France in Ireland and then potentially that, that Welsh game where, where they could win the championship or stop Wales winning Grand Slam against France and their, and the, the perhaps uh, as of at the moment, France's lack of appetite to absorb sustained defence, which Ireland will give, will, will, will throw at them. You do think that Ireland will, will win that battle and gain some confidence and get back into their structures and shape that perhaps then will will trampoline them into a good performance against Wales. I mean, ironically, I can see that. Ironically, these are two 
difficult games, but probably better than having Italy and, yeah. and you know, making changes and so on. Totally agree. Totally agree. And, and so we could, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, you might be talking about Ireland having refound their form and having won the championship. That is not beyond the pale. Well, of course, in parallel to the men's Six Nations, the women's Six Nations is also taking place. That went into round three. And whilst England were expected to outdo their counterparts, whatever the result for the men, they did it in style. Nine tries against Wales, 51-12 winners. That leaves them top of the table. Please see we can speak to the World Cup winning fly half and Wasps ladies coach about this, Giselle Mather. Hello, Giselle. Hello, Brian. How are you? Okay, uh, nine tries. Prop Sarah Byrne starring. Well, writing in her match report, Kate Rowan said that Byrne's second try will be considered the moment of the tournament. How good was it? It was pretty special, to be fair, um, particularly because she's got a number three on her back. So, um, you know, she, she burst through through a gap and then off left foot, right foot, you know, the whole the whole thing was going on. So uh, she, she denied the prop tag and, and played like a an outside half, I think. Well, that's always good pride. She does a, a primary job, which I'm sure she is doing. Look, Captain Sarah Hunter is on the bench. Poppy Cleal starting. How did uh, Poppy perform genuine competition what's the likely outcome yes i think i mean uh, what what england are trying to do now is to develop two to three depths in in every position such that if if at uh, crucial tournaments injuries do occur which we all know they will then the, the next player comes in fits in seamlessly and and poppy is a, a very very good number eight um she obviously plays there for saracens and uh, she stepped up to to do that well, I'm reading uh, about a bit of concern about the lopsided score lines that appear, at least partly, to be as a reason uh, of England's professional game. Now, there's nothing England can do about it. It's not their fault that their union is forward-looking and Cannon is financing the game properly. But for a tournament to have longevity, you don't want these uh, huge mismatches. What can be done, do you think? to try and drag the other teams uh, into the same sort of stratosphere or, or, you know, or level as England are at the moment? Sardar Milton alluded to it at the weekend when he said that it's time for, for the other nations to really back their women's sides. I think if, if you look back over from, from how England have evolved, early doors, it was, it was very much about the national side. And then it went to um, what we used to call the Super Fours, which was a regionally based competition. And now we have, and, and then we had our premiership, which was not particularly well funded. But now that we've got Tyrrell Premier 15s, it's, it's made a massive difference. Whereas if you look at what's going on, say, in, in Wales and, and Ireland, Wales have their regional competition with four sides and then there's obviously the Interpros in Ireland but then that's pretty much the only club or, or regionally based rugby that those players play and then they go into you know into training camps the Wales are going in on Tuesday and Thursday evenings after work they drive down to some place you know they're based in England they're driving down into Wales on Tuesdays and Thursdays and uh, obviously other players across Wales are all coming into camp then and then back to work next day the Irish are doing very very similar things so you know from from an Irish player's point of view from the beginning of January till the end of March they get about seven days off that's it and because they've got to go straight from training camp 
when they're preparing, back to work on the Monday and then off back into Ireland on the Friday or into Dublin if you live in Ireland. And then, you know, they're doing that and obviously through the championship, the same thing. So they're getting no rest, no relaxation and they can't they can't get rid of the little niggles that they're getting. They can't train really effectively because they've got to train, you know, on the evenings before games and so on. And that has an effect on on the tournament. And if if these other nations actually invest a bit more, because again, if you look at Wales, their senior men won, their under twenties won, albeit just, but their women were were left behind because there's just not the funding in the game for the women at the moment. And the way women's sports going generally, it's time now that that you know there's a little bit more put into the to the sport because you know ten clubs in England have been given support, and look at the results that we're getting now. Just, I've got kind of a slightly a, a similar. It's on on the same question really around both the timing of the Six Nations because it does clash with the Sevens World Series and mm-hmm. it's also an Olympic qualifying year. So France and Ireland have heavily prioritised Sevens and so their, their teams mm-hmm. have been mm-hmm. depowered as a result and Six Nations campaigns this year for England is it's a little bit of a procession. They're not have, really having any trouble and, and match mm-hmm. with their professional you know, their professional programme. Do you think, A, two things really, do you think the Six Nations has to be Along the same at the same time as the men's Six Nations, because to avoid any clashes of the of the sevens, and B, do you think England now have have put themselves in a situation where they are are going to romp the Six Nations, but they've put their sevens team, who are the qualifier for the Great Britain, under major pressure to not qualify for the Olympic Games? You see, I I, I wouldn't necessarily see it like that, Ben, because for me the two games are very separate, just because they're played with a the same ball to me they're very very separate and the the, the men's game you don't get athletes crossing across uh, crossing over to both and the women's game has got to go in that direction too so from the women's in England the players were given a choice as, as to which which one they wanted to play those who are obviously you know good enough to be to represent their country and and have chosen which ones they want they want to go for I think in in the French case at the moment they have got about five of their their first potentially first choice backs playing sevens. But the way it's got to go is is the same way as men's that they're two completely separate entities until such time that a player does want to switch back. And and you obviously will know that not that many male players switch back to get, or particularly in England, to get Premiership starts when they come back to 15s because the two are very very different games. Obviously there are similarities, but they're very different games and very different demands on on players. So for me, it's I think it's going the right way that, that teams are trying to develop a seven squad and a fifteen squad. As you say, we've got to leave it there. But always great to speak to you. Thank you again for speaking to us. Thank you. Take care. You sell made of the World Cup winning fly half and Wasps ladies coach. Just as a final comment on this, the reason why the other unions should invest in their women's teams is not just because it's right to support women's sport. But when you have clubs that are underutilised, the facilities and so on, having a thriving women's game, and when they actually get the representation at each year group, they will find those facilities are utilised far more effectively because there'll be a reason to do it. So, yes, you do have to spend, but you've got to do that to accumulate and, and push the game forward, but for good reason. Yeah, no, look, not I, just altruism. No, I agree, and and that's where I'm. I'm kind of 
I feel a, a little bit differently about this only because England decided to go fully pro and they now have a league that allows their players to play at a high level every week. Scotland and Wales don't have that. So you're turning players professionally into what? To play four or five games a year. That's not, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. New Zealand, who are the current world champions, do not have a 15s programme at the moment. They play sevens because there's no domestic programme. There's nothing for them to be paid to play professional rugby in. So I think you need to look at this a little bit a little bit differently. And it's the same. I get Giselle's idea about two separate sports, 15s, sevens, but, but the game at the top end for women doesn't have the player base that the men have. And get and women do play both, you know. And the the New Zealand sevens team that were, that are favourites for the Olympics, you're right, the but, World Cup, but they won't get both. that unless they put money into it. They won't get. They the, won't get the player base. No, they won't get the player base. Yeah, so they need to. Yeah, and, and even when they do, they will find, as I say, the facilities of clubs that some are struggling at junior level might be used a bit more. Yeah, I th- but I, I think a there's perhaps more. a segue to go to semi-pro and have, mm-hmm. and then move it from there, not just to suddenly throw everything at it when the, when the structure's not there. So wrap this up. Week off again, I understand why that has to be. Would you say it's damaging to momentum or is it absolutely necessary given the attritional nature? I think it's, it's different for, di- for different teams. I, th- I mean, yeah, I, do, I, I think it's become, you know, I, I, we haven't got time to bang on about this, but 25 years ago, it was 100 tackles. On average, internationals, it's about 400 now, three to 400. Yeah, you know, and the, the tackles bear no relation no. to what they used to. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so, so yes, they do, need a, they do need a break. And I think for, for Wales in particular, they would have got their planning spot on, so they would, have, they would they use that break very well. I think Eddie will make minimal changes for, for the Italy game for the reasons we talked about, so he'll, and he'll keep them in camp. So, yeah, it's needed. It does stop a bit of momentum, but, you know, there's enough rugby going on. Well, that's all we've got time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Thank you very much to my co-host, Ben Ryan, and as always, my producer, Abby Patterson. Do subscribe to the podcast, leave a review if you haven't already. But for now, it's goodbye. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 